Thank you for your fellowship through this challenging journey of the long session. We couldn't do this alone. Why would we want to do this alone? We've formed community through these inescapable conditions of sickness, old age, and death. We become intimately sealed together because we know that dukkha must be faced. These are deep points of connection. Really, how wonderful to have companions on the path. We're also in community because we are beings that can be touched deeply, moved, transformed by beauty. We've been exploring how music raises energy, how human creativity makes us feel alive. I think you've probably experienced that as Kosho and Soten offer their lives wholeheartedly here in the Zendo, how our lives are enriched. I'm sure you've noticed that Listening from a place of stillness makes beauty even more vivid. Without thoughts occupying our channel fully, we can become sensitive to deeper and more subtle sounds. As we practice listening deeply, we begin to bear witness to ourselves and to others. You may have noticed more complex feelings arising, maybe unexplainable sadness, strange pains in the body, maybe even great surges of joy energies you can't explain. This is natural as we begin to open up to the rich palette of the universe, the rich palette of our broader lives. It's natural for us to feel disorienting, even scary. It's interesting to observe how deities that are associated with listening, how they're portrayed iconographically in different religious traditions. And what I find really striking is the similarity in open-handedness. This is a very common hand for listening. Palms facing out, ready to receive, to offer. 
It takes great courage to live with an open hand, especially when we've been trained to be closed-fisted. The movement's in, it's not out. As we listened to music last night, one thing really stood out for me, other than the beauty of the music, that was the moment of silence at the end of the piece. The potency of the moment as sound disappears. What's really vivid is that this silence is not a vacant and barren land. It's not bereft of music. When you listen deeply, you can hear the pregnant quality. There's a sense of fullness. This juicy and alive space of silence is spoken about in different ways by different traditions. We can call it the nada sound, the cosmic hum, celestial songs, the voices of angels, the hum of the planets. Humans throughout time have known that we don't live in a silent and sterile universe. We are buzzingly alive. Maybe that's why there is so much careful consideration around speech in so many religious traditions. In fact, there are beings who choose not to utter a single word for years. They've taken the vow of mauna, silence. And the secular world may see them as socially maladjusted unable to say anything interesting. But as spiritual practitioners, we may consider that they are involved in a deep listening practice. Perhaps they are awash in the subtle sounds of the universe, sensitive to the sounds of the more than human world. Shakyamuni, the Muni relates to this word, mauna, silence. He is a sage because he values silence. And the Dharma is filled with teachings that ask us to be careful with our speech. Ask us to really consider since silence is precious, filled with possibilities, are your words helpful, kind, useful, significant? Of course, here's the inherent awkwardness of giving a Dharma talk. 
So please feel free to listen to these words as the arising of sound, akin to the sound of the rain or the birds just washing over you. The content is much less important than how you are experiencing it. The fact of the vibration, the fact that we are both feeling fully alive. And that's up to both of us. What's the level of our attention? How are we listening? How are we making sound? As we experience all the time, significant things are missed because our attention is elsewhere. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit and explore fullness the potency that we can hear when the music ends. The buzzing and the live space from which sound appears and disappears. This brought up a memory for me of when my daughter was a very small child. She would sit still for long periods of time listening to music. My husband is a musician, so she was exposed to all kinds of music. She had a particular liking for movie soundtracks and opera. Anything with big feelings, big sounds, the potential for big stories. And I would ask her what she was doing with her eyes closed, sitting so still, and she would say that she was painting pictures in her mind. Afterwards, she would seem so satisfied and happy filled up with some kind of bounty. And I'd always wonder how she could have such an attraction to this epic, heroic music. At three years old, she didn't even know what heroic or epic was. It made me realize that music is a pointer into the rich way that we are being touched by the universe. It is wonderful that we are beings that get touched. I think that this touched place is an important aspect to develop in our practice. To be touched, we have to be open, curious, not scared to feel. I'm saying this because I think we can sometimes mistake the instruction to let go as an instruction to wipe clean, become blank, erase, as if the goal of practice is to become an empty page, never affected. This view is reinforced by images that we give for awareness versus the thinking mind, the blank screen on which thoughts are projected, the sky without clouds or any formations, the silent, immovable mind. We often hear the instruction to come back to the raw experience of our senses without a narrative line. And of course, we all have benefited from this helpful instruction. 
we can see how we dilute the magnificence of our life through our storylines. How our storytelling mind gets in the way of the brilliance of what is actually happening right now. I'm sure we are all intimately familiar with this process. But let's not forget that our amazingly creative mind is also a source of wonder, a testament to the buzzing aliveness that is also our human experience. I hope you're taking some time to appreciate your great creative abilities as you set this session. What kind of an artist are you? What kind of stories do you like to create? Do you like humor? Are you overly dramatic? Do you like the dark stuff? Sushin gives us front row seats on this gift that we all have. Our humanness is touching. Because of this, we are often caught in a double bind. Life presents us with messy scenarios, many shades of color, not just black and white. Life presents us with difficult choices, situations that can't be solved through the intellect. We need to learn how to steep in things, enjoy the gray space, enjoy the flurry of competing colors, competing voices, competing sounds. I've been thinking about this a lot. As my daughter makes some big decisions about her life direction, all decisions both containing grief and joy. I get to see the suffering in choice, how difficult it is to feel it all through, even when it is all good. How quickly one wants to come to conclusions, to pick one door, to elevate one thing over the other, to get to a sense of certainty, to get to solid ground. We may all be familiar with the famous koan from the Mumun Khan, Case 5, Kyogen's man up a tree, person up a tree. Kyogen said, it is like a man up in a tree, hanging from a branch with his mouth. His hands grasp no bow, his feet rest on no limb. Someone appears under the tree and asks him, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? You can substitute any really important question. If he does not answer, he fails to respond to this wholehearted question. If he does answer, he will lose his life. What would you do in such a situation? There are many situations where we feel damned if we do and damned if we don't. 
we may just want to clamp our jaws down on that branch and pretend like paralysis is a viable option. But life continues to flow and demand a response. Even when we fix our jaws firmly on a sense of our life, our way, something may come forward to challenge our direction, offer some compelling and infuriating alternative. This is the same dilemma described in the famous text, the Bhagavad Gita. Does Arjuna win the battle and display his gifts at the cost of killing his own family? He has family on both sides of the battlefield. He is stopped in his tracks by this dilemma. Everywhere we turn, we are filled with these impossible choices and the need for a response. This is the fabric of our juicy life. How do we act? And from what place do we act? What is the nature of being stuck? Are we even the ones making the choices? These are central questions of spiritual life. These binds are really interesting territory because they point us to the fullness of our human experience. Rich in different colors, able to hold competing strains, continuously challenging us to hold a larger view. Spiritual work must include feeling into the full scope of who we are, feeling into the very bottom of things. And this is the great gift of Zazen, the method for this kind of deep investigation. Sometimes I like to think about the Dharma as teachings on hunger and being full. As the Buddha noted, we seem to have forgotten our fullness. We seem to be beings in a perpetual state of hunger and lack. The Pali word for craving that is the source of dukkha is tanha, literally thirst. This thirst is not a chosen kind of desire, it's more like a reflex. It's the desire to pull something in and feed on it. The desire that's never satisfied because it just shifts from one sense base to another, from one sound to another, from one emotional need to the next, from one achievement to another goal. And the Buddha related these to three channels, regardless of its specific topics, it relates to these three channels. First being sense craving, kama, tanha. 
essentially craving for sensual, sensory pleasures, which also includes desire for and attachment to ideas and ideals, views, opinions, theories, conceptions, and beliefs. In the Buddhist teachings, thought is just another sensation. The second channel is craving to be something, bhava, tanha. This includes craving to be solid and ongoing, to be a being that has a past and a future, craving to prevail and dominate over others. And the third channel is craving to be nothing, to disassociate from an experience, vibhava tanha, craving to not experience the world, which really is a wish to be separated from painful feelings. Sushin is the perfect container for all three of these cravings to arise. And of course, some form of desire is essential for spiritual aspiration. We need desire to come to Sishin, to stay at Sishin. This desire to apply oneself to practice is called chanda. It's a psychological yes, a choice. Maybe you could summarize Dharma training as the transformation of tanha into chanda. We begin to guide volition, grab and hold on to the steering wheel and travel with clarity towards a deeper sense of well-being. So we're not trying to get rid of desire. Instead, we're trying to transmute it take it out of the shadow of gratification and need and use its aspiration and vigor to bring us into light and clarity. But we can only steer this machine of thirst if we feel into the fullness of life, the rich flavors. We need to recognize our satiated state we need to steep in the fullness of this human experience. Of course, that's what we are practicing as we sit here in Sashem. We practice feeling the totality of our human experience, not just the good stuff, the peaceful, the happy, the easy. Today, I want to introduce you to a technique from my dance training. It's a method for fully embodying our feelings while developing the skill of letting go, flowing on, moving through. Expression in Indian classical dance training comes from the development of the non-abiding mind. This is a storytelling form 
So in order to embody many characters, many moods, you can't get stuck in one. This practice is called the Navarasas, the Nine Flavors. And it's taken from a text written in the first century called the Natya Shastra. It's a very famous text for Indian arts practice. According to this text, human life can be described as nine dominant flavors. They are Shringara, which is kind of an amazing word, which includes all kinds of feelings love, sensuality, beauty, adornment, bibatsa, which is deep distaste or revulsion, raudra, which is anger or any feeling of ill will, adbuta, which is astonishment, awe, wonder, Bionica, which is fear in all its gradations. Vira, confidence, power, strength. Hasya, joy, lightness, laughter. Karuna, compassion, our feelings of connectedness and intimacy with things. Interestingly, it also includes our sense of sadness on a personal level. And then the last flavor is shanta, which is peace. But this is often described as the lack of flavor. The idea is like the combination of spices needed to prepare a beautiful meal. We don't want to be too heavy handed with any of these flavors. So we practice conjuring a feeling state and then letting it go. So I'm inviting you to dance in stillness. This is actually a dance piece, which was created to make these feelings vivid, these flavors. It's set to a Sanskrit verse from a famous poem called the Saundarya Lahiri, meaning the waves of beauty, which was written by a Vedantic teacher named Adi Shankar, who lived in the 8th century. And it contains 103 verses in praise of the beauty and grace of the goddess Parvati, one of the goddesses of Hinduism. This verse describes the goddess Parvati's feelings as she looks at the god Shiva. They are great lovers and the sight of him moves her through the full breadth of her human experience. All of these nine flavors. And the dancer's job is to become Parvati. They source the feelings from their own life but they step back a bit because they're a storyteller taking on the character of Parvati as she describes her experience. With repetitive practice, 
the dancer starts to feel the personal becoming more universal. They start to sense that they don't own the feeling, doesn't belong to them. They start to feel these as energies emerging from the fullness of the universe. Of course, when you do this again and again and again, it's a practice, you start to flow. So you can see this is just another approach to Zazen, just another way, another method for connecting us with our rich and wonderful life. We can use music to stir us, to energize us, to help us learn how to feel deeply, to learn how to relax and let life pass through. So may we all feel deeply May we all let it pass through and may we all enjoy the fullness of our lives together. <laughs>